You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Today we do celebrate the birth of King Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, the fact that our King has come. We celebrate Christmas time, and this is what this is about, that King Jesus came and established a new covenant, a new covenant that God has made with his people that Jesus enacted and ratified on the cross by the shedding, the pouring out of his blood as the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And as we just sang and, and we're praying and we're worshiping that it's through this new covenant that the gift of the Holy Spirit can now be given unto us and transform our lives from death to life and make our hearts complete and whole. At Christmas time, we declare that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of David, the Lamb of God, the Chosen One of Israel, the Great High Priest, the Living Word, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. Our King has come, and our King will return. So today is Christmas at In Focus Church, and this is our third message in the series, Our King Has Come, where we're looking at and talking about how to approach and respond to the King in worship. Although we don't have a regal context in, in our normal culture here, we do know that Jesus is the King of Kings. And as we read the Word of God, we see that there is an appropriate way to respond to Him this way. Even in the Christmas story, we know the worship that surrounded his birth, the worship that surrounded him before he was even born. We also know that around the age of two, the wise men showed up at Jesus' house bringing gifts and declaring that Jesus was the king, worshiping this toddler, if you will. And one of the things that we noticed from their story in Matthew 2, 2 that we've talked about these last few weeks was the fact that they brought gifts to the king. That they brought gifts. They showed up with something to give, not just to receive. They responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ because of all that he had done and all that he has promised to do. This is how we are to respond, not just so what we can get from God, but we show up today because of the gospel. We show up today because of what Christ has done. We celebrate what he's done in his birth and what he's done in his resurrection. And because of that, we come to give unto him the glory that's due his name. Not just to receive the blessings that he has for us, although that is an amazing reality of a good father who pours out his grace and his love and his blessing upon us. But we don't show up to receive. We show up to give to him because he's the king. We should bring our hearts and our lives to him in worship, and that's what we do. So whether it's lifting our hands we talked about in week one is it's bowing our knees before God in physical actions of worship. The Bible gives us these actions that correspond with what should be going on or what we declare has already happened in our hearts. Yes, God saved me. Yes, he's my savior. Yes, he's my king. Well, if that's the truth, then there's a corresponding response that should come out of my body and my actions. It should elicit a response when we recognize that Jesus is the king of kings. We bring our hearts and our lives to him. 
So I want to talk about something that I've already mentioned because the first two weeks were practical, if you will. They were physical, practical actions of worship, the lifting of hands, the bowing of the knees. But I want to talk today about the posture of our hearts. Robert just mentioned that a moment ago, the posture of our hearts in giving. Because let's be honest, you can do all the physical actions that you want to to God in worship that the Bible gives us and prescribes to us and still have our hearts be far from God. I can lift my hands, I can bow my knee, I can dance wildly before the Lord and my heart still be far from God. Therefore, I want to look at how we pour our hearts out before God as an act of worship. That's the name this morning, pour out our heart to the king. Now the others were literal, they were physical, they were outside reflecting the inside, and that's appropriate, but this is more worship from the interior, from the inside out, to wholeheartedly worship the king as he deserves. We're not just going to worship God with our minds, though we should. We're not going to just worship God with our bodies, though we should, but we're going to worship God from the depth of our heart and our soul. We're going to bring to and give God, the king of kings, all of our hearts and all of who we are, because that's what he deserves. Now in the church like ours, and people watching online, just really in life in general, there are gonna be people this morning in all kinds of different situations. That includes you. Some of you came in today and, and things are going really well. You feel really excited about what God's doing, feeling blessed, so being grateful and being thankful and worshiping the king should come easy for you. That should be something that, hey, God is doing these amazing things. It's so easy to worship God right now. On the other hand, you could be in the middle of some very difficult things. You could be struggling through some things in your life, and you don't really feel like pouring your heart out to God, and I understand. However, this is the truth. The best thing for all of us to do, no matter what situation of life we're in, is to pour out our hearts before God. I want you to see that this is the best thing that we could do. If you feel alone, if you feel sad, if you feel hurt, if you feel confused or afraid, maybe your finances are stressing you out, or maybe your health is not that good, maybe you're dealing with a, a diagnosis that's dire, maybe your relationships are struggling and there's a lot of dysfunction surrounding you in this Christmas season, but no matter where you are or what you're going through, let me encourage you to pour out your heart before God because God is the one who cares for the brokenhearted he's near to those who are brokenhearted and the scripture says in Jeremiah when we seek him with our whole heart we will find him so he is the place that we go to pour out our hearts no matter what we're feeling let's look at God's word the Bible this morning and learn how to pour out our hearts to God in an act of worship. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 142. This is where we'll start today. We're going to look at a few different Psalms together. That's what we've been in this series, looking at the Psalms of David as he is describing how he's worshiping God with lifted hands or bowing his knees. Now we're looking at pouring out our hearts. And this is where we'll see David is lamenting before God again. We said this before, David laments a lot, right? It's okay. It's okay to bring your lament to God. It's okay to have struggles. It's okay to have difficulties. God is the one that we bring those to. He, is, he, is, he can handle it better than anybody else. He says this, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. He pours out his complaint, the scripture says, before God. Anybody ever poured out their complaint on you? You like that? You enjoy that? 
God can handle that better than you can. It doesn't feel very good when somebody pours out their complaint, and yet we're able and called, and by God's grace, given the invitation to do so with him. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over me, my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares about my, for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. He uses this same phrase about pouring out and refuge in another passage of Scripture in Psalm 62, 8. And he says this, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him. Why? For God is our refuge. Pour out your hearts because God is our refuge. That phrase, pour out, means to express without restraint. Like you don't have to hold anything back. You don't have to say, well, God, I don't want you to see everything that I'm feeling. We do that with people, and we should. But, Lord, I, 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 don't, I don't want you to see. He knows already. So without restraint, you express and pour out your heart to God. Then it says the, he, it's, he's a refuge. That word refuge means shelter, protection, protection from danger and or distress. The main thought behind the Hebrew word is security, that we have security in God. God is my refuge, my secure place. And make no mistake about it, security is a big deal to us. It is. Think about it. We deeply care about being in secure, safe places, secure areas to live in, secure areas to work in, secure areas to go to school in. Billions of dollars are made each year by people wanting to feel safe and secure by building a fence, a gate, an alarm system, buying guns, building bunkers, building walls. But on a more personal, internal standpoint, it's not just the things that we feel like that make us safe. Oftentimes, there are people that make us feel safe. When you're younger, you feel safe typically, or you should, unless you grew up in a situation that was abusive or wrong, a parent is supposed to make you feel safe. That's why everybody shows up in your bedroom when the thunder and the lightning starts cracking outside when people are younger. It's important for us to have people in our lives where we feel safe for our own peace of mind. It's important when it comes to having relationships because why? Without safety and security, there's no openness and there's no honesty and consequently there is no genuine relationship with someone who you don't feel safe with. That's why it's important for us to know that God is a refuge. He's safe. He's secure. You can be open and honest. I remember being on a one of the many flights that Carla and I have been on together over the years, and I've shared this story before at one point in time, but we thought the plane was, you know, going to crash. It was bad turbulence. It was, it was frightening, and uh, I was scared. Uh, I think everybody on the plane was scared. Carla was scared. She's, like, really holding on tight to me. Why? Because I, I guess I'm supposed to be a safe place for her. And then she's praying ridiculous prayers like, oh, Lord, I know you need to use uh, Brent in the earth still. Please don't let us die. And, you know, I'm like, we're banking this plane, staying up there on God using my life in the earth. I mean, like, that doesn't make me feel any better right now. I mean, I'm about to soil my pants, and you're over here hoping and praying that I'm gonna, we're going to live because of me. 
And yet, I guess I was supposed to be a safe place. And I think about God, who if he's our just king, then that's one thing. But he's not just our king, he's also our father. He's our shelter. He's our place of refuge. And we remember in week one, we said that when we stretch our arms out to God in worship, that God is just like an earthly father except better. And when a child reaches up to you and can't reach any farther, that parent makes up the distance between the reach of the child because the father has the greater reach and just like our heavenly father we're worshiping and reaching as high as we can in worship maybe physically and spiritually God can always make up the distance there's nothing where his arm is too short to reach down and pick us up and embrace us and love us and it's the same way with our hearts that our hearts were far from God and we could pour out our hearts as much as we wanted but God's already proven that he's made up the distance between our heart and his by sending his son Jesus to be born to die He's made up the distance between our hearts that were far from him and his heart that was near to us. We have to remember that he is king, but he is also our father. So today, I want us to have the opportunity to pour out our hearts before God, to cry out to him as an act of worship in this season that can be so busy, lonely, hard, and even painful for many of us. I want us to experience the grace and the love and the peace of God that comes through Jesus Christ. We've worshiped with lifted hands. We've worshiped by bowing our knees. And today, I want to worship by pouring out our hearts to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the greatest thing thing that we can give and bring to God all of us we celebrate the fact that the king has come to save us and now we come to worship the king Jesus by giving him our whole heart pouring our hearts out before him so how can we best pour our hearts out to God in spirit and in truth openness and honesty as we acknowledge, we're not just pouring out our hearts for some cathartic cleansing. We're not just there to, you know, just dump it out or pour it out. That's kind of how the word pour even means, just to kind of throw it all out. We're not just there and then leave. No, we're there so that we can grow in our closeness and intimacy with God. To be near to God, that's the reason that we're pouring our hearts out. To be near to him and to ask him for his help. And to do this most effectively, here's how we're going to do that. I want you to remember God's faithfulness in the past. Y'all hear me say this all the time, and leaders here say this all the time. It's not just the theme of this church. It's the theme of God's Word. It's the theme of the Bible. It's the theme of communion. It's the theme of everything that we do, that we remember the faithfulness of God in the past. Remember God's faithfulness to us in order to help us pour out our heart to God in the present. We remember the faithfulness of God in the past. As you cry out to God, you reflect on His goodness and His faithfulness in your life. Psalm 42, another lament of David, where he's doing just that. He's pouring out his heart to God. Most scholars believe David wrote this psalm whenever Absalom, his son, had rebelled against him. And now there's a lot of people who are actually saying, we believe God has turned against you. Look at what's going on in your life. Look at what your son, look at all the people. God must not be for you anymore. Did you know that you can't judge everything by what you see with your physical eyes going on in somebody's life? You can't judge what you see going on in the life of the church, the leaders, the pastor, the people. You can't judge everything by what you see other people doing. If that was the case, then Jesus was a failure. If I judged everything by what people did and how they responded to Christ, it's not so good. We see here that David 
is crying out in verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. Do you ever feel like that? Like you cry yourself to sleep, you're hurting, you feel alone. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? In other words, if you're serving God, why is all this happening to you? Must not really care about you. Then in verse 4, here's the key part of the verse, these things I remember. There's that powerful renewing of the mind that we see all over Scripture. Remember, remember correctly, remember truthfully, remember rightly. And he goes on to say, as I pour out my soul, these things I remember as I cry out to God and I ache from within, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Then you see a shift, a turning point, if you will, because these things I remember why my soul are you so downcast why so disturbed within me put your hope in God for yet I will praise him my savior and my God we've got to recall in order to be rooted we've got to recall the faithfulness of God in order to be rooted in the trust of God in the present these things I remember he said so I pour out my soul David begins to preach to himself too you ever do that You ever preach to yourself? You should. David's beginning to preach himself. He's saying, why so downcast? I mean, I've done this. I've done this all my whole life. And and I don't just do it even about spiritual things. Sometimes I preach to myself about, you know, normal things like at the golf course or whatever I've said before. Like, you know, standing over a putt. I'll preach to myself like, you were made to make this putt. You were created for a putt such as this. Does it do any good? Not really, not as much as, no, I mean, no good than preaching to some of y'all does, but I still preach anyway, so. I don't quit. I just keep preaching to myself and to you. And why do I do that? Because I know that's how I'm going to encourage my heart as I pour my heart out to God. What do I preach to myself? God's called you to do this, Brent. God is with you in this. He'll never leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He didn't bring you this far to destroy you, but he brought you this far to exalt his name through you. You can trust his goodness. He's the sovereign king over all things. He's in control. He's going to come through. And with this being the truth, despite what my eyes might see or my emotions might tell me, the fact remains, according to God's word, this is who he is and this is who I am. So now I'm going to what? Put my hope in God. That's what he says. You can tell God, you don't understand. God, I don't know why this is happening. God, this doesn't make sense. God, why aren't you doing what I prayed and asked for you to do? Hello, are you there? But as you do, remember the faithfulness of God in the past. And also remember the faithfulness of God in all of history. All that he's done throughout his word God is always faithful. In fact, the Old Testament, there's another amazing story of Jeremiah in Lamentations chapter 3. And you want to know about a guy who had a bad season of life. It wasn't just a season. It was just his life. Read about what Jeremiah went through. He even says about himself, I am a man who has seen much affliction. And for verses on end, he just lays out the pain and the anguish through his complaints. You have permission to do this before God. Some of you, you may say, God, why aren't you doing what I want you to do 
in this situation, in my children's life, in my marriage, in my finances. You just cry out honestly before God, whatever it is. That's exactly what Jeremiah does. Even in this passage in Lamentations 2, 19, this is one of my favorites. I love this. It says, pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Think about that. Pour out your heart like water. If I was just to take this and pour this out on stage, I'm not going to do that because it would make a mess. But if this is frozen, can't pour it out. If this is solid, can't pour it out. If that heart is hard, that's why God said, don't harden your hearts like the children did when they didn't trust me because you can't pour out a hard heart. It literally means an unreserved As I said a moment ago, outpouring of your heart like water. It's liquid because that's what pours the best. As one commentator put it, speak the sorrow of your heart. Give an honest discourse of your complaint through tears. And notice the most effective place to pour out your heart to God. On Facebook. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not in there? I mean, based on what I see, that's what I felt like was in Lamentations. Pour out your heart before God to a group of people. I don't know. That may not be the best thing. What the Word says is to pour out your heart before God in His presence. Our culture says pour out your heart on Facebook or Instagram or wherever you like, to whomever you like, whenever you like, and that can turn toxic really quick. You ever have grease left over from cooking? Do you, do you know what to do with that? Like, are you still like me? You know, like, my mom had, like, mason jars full of grease. Why? I don't know where to pour it. When you pour that out, you're supposed to pour it out in a place that's safe. If you said, hey, Zano, Issy, Anna, whoever, go pour that grease out. They just went over and dumped it on the couch. It matters where you pour your heart out. It matters where you pour your heart out. And God's presence is the proper place. Just as we lifted up our hands as an offering of praise, just like we bowed our knees as an offering of praise, we make our cry an offering of praise to God. Listen, God already knows your heart anyway, so offer it to him in worship. He wants you to ask for help. He gives you permission to say it like it is, to cry out to him without restraint, without borders, without say whatever it is, just pour it out before God. He can handle it and he can fix it and he can tell you what not to say or what to say. He is the one that can do that by his spirit. But here's how Jeremiah does it in verse 19 of Lamentations chapter three. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Then verse 21, is so powerful he says yet this I call to mind therefore I have hope what's he doing the same thing that David did 
Same thing you and I are supposed to do. He is remembering the faithfulness of God in the past. In the middle of his desperate cry, he is saying, even though his soul is downcast, he's recalling the goodness of God. He's remembering correctly, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, because of his faithfulness. Why does he have hope? Because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Then watch this. He was talking about God. Now he's talking to God. Great is your faithfulness. I call this to mind. Therefore, I have hope. Somebody should be excited about that today. In a moment of worship, in the presence of God, and why spending time with God this way is so important. It's in that intimate moment. It's in that honest place where the rawness of my relationship with God can come out and be poured out like water. Cry out to him and say, I call this to mind. I recall your faithfulness. And because of that, God, because of all that you've done, I have hope today. Some of you need to think back to what he's brought you through to get you through. To think back what he has brought you through in life to get you through this life. You need to remember the faithfulness of God. Think back to when you called on his name for salvation and he forgave you and the weight of your sin was lifted off of your shoulders and that burden that you were carrying that was so heavy now all of a sudden was so light. Remember when God answered a prayer one time or a thousand times when there was no other way it could have been anything but God answering your cry. To remember when God healed a relationship you thought would never be restored. I call this to mind because of your faithfulness. I still have hope. Remember the time when you were hurting and felt all alone and you read a Bible verse that you'd read maybe 120 times before. But that day, in that moment, it spoke directly to you as if the living God was speaking directly to you through his living word. Because he was. Remember that time you showed up at church when you could have been a thousand other places and it felt like the pastor had been reading your diary and gave a word that was specifically for you. Remember the faithfulness of God. It was as if it was handwritten. Or remember that time it was like they sang a song that was handpicked especially for you to sing. Yes, I call this to mind, therefore I have hope. Here's the thing. When you start remembering the faithfulness of God to you in your life, you begin to remember more and more of God's faithfulness to you in your life. And hope just starts to come alive. It's like when I start to express my gratitude and my thankfulness to God, it's just he reminds me of all the other things that I have reason to be thankful for. That I can remember the moment I gave my life to Jesus and surrendered my life to God, surrounded by my family and my house. I can remember the grace of God to be placed into the family that I would have been placed in. I can remember the grace of God to bring me a godly woman to spend the rest of my life with and how God sent Carla into my life and answered that prayer beyond what I could have ever imagined. I remember the day God blessed me with my first child and Caleb, then Josiah 16 months later. 
I recall the prayers that I prayed and wrote down in journals when they were just infants for them to be musicians and worshipers when they got older. And I look at what God has done in their lives today, things that I asked for when they were just infants. I remember when God blessed us with our third child, a daughter, Anna Joy, who would be a unique and beautiful display of God's thoughtfulness and care and concern in our lives. I remember when the people in South Africa told Carla and I to give up on ever adopting Issy and Zano because they would not be adoptable. Find some other kids. But here they are eight years later in our family, and God is faithful. I've seen him do amazing things, not just in my life, but I've seen him do amazing things in this church, and he can do it again. I've seen it when it was a, a winter, and I've seen it when it was springtime and harvest. I've seen it when it looked like it was all going to come crashing down, and I've seen it when it looked like nothing could stop us. I've seen it all. I've seen him do things. I remember when I used to say we were a multi-ethnic church and no one on staff was anything but white, and there was only one black person here, and that was Mr. George, and he's actually here this morning. Mr. George's birthday was just this month, I believe. Not, oh, it's, it is? It's past, I thought it was the 22nd. Yeah. Um, he's going to be 91 years old. And he's here today for the first time and since pre-COVID. So, hey, Mr. George. Love you. So glad you're here today. He was so excited to be able to come today. He's like, I can't wait to get back to church. But I remember when he was the only person of color here. And now, so why does that matter? Because I see what God's put together with a diverse staff of men and women, young and old, black, brown, and white, and a congregation that's percentage-wise is more diverse than the county that we live in and are located in, and that's the miraculous hand of God that keeps God's manifold wisdom being displayed, as Ephesians 3.10 says, in the earth. All that to say, remember the faithfulness of God. I remember your faithfulness, yet I call this to mind, therefore I have hope. Cry out to God. Tell him that you're feeling whatever it is that you're feeling. Pour out your complaint. Tell him you don't understand. Tell him it doesn't make sense. But as you do, look back on the faithfulness of God. And for some of you, as you begin to do that, your misery can turn into your greatest ministry as God begins to work in your life. Cry out to him. And as you pour out to God, your heart, also remember this, not just the faithfulness of God in the past, but as you pour out your heart to God, trust in God's power for our future. That he's good. Trust in his power for your future. The psalmist in 102 was at the lowest point that you could imagine, and yet he called out an amazing prayer to God. He poured out his heart to God. Listen to this honesty and sincerity from the depths of his soul. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. In my distress, I groan aloud and I'm reduced to skin and bones. I lie awake. I can't sleep. My mind is so heavy at night. I become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. 
Then there are these three words in verse 12 that change everything. Three words that could change everything for you even right now today because they have changed human history over and over and over again for centuries. They have changed every situation where God is trusted in. And here they are. Some of you know them by heart. But you, God. My life is falling apart. I don't understand. I cry out to you, God, from the depth of my soul. My enemies taunt me. They're making fun of me. They think that you don't love me, but you, God. I don't understand, but you are good. I don't have the ability to do this, but you are powerful, God. I I feel like I'm all alone, but God, you're always with me and faithful. I don't know what to do, verse 12, but you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Isn't that comforting that you, God, are still on the throne? He's still the King of kings and the Lord of lords, no matter what you feel like, who sits on the throne forever. He says, your renown endures through all generations. My God, he will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Christmas time is the biggest but you, God, moment in history. We were far from God, and he hadn't spoken to his people. We were lost and dying in our sin, and but you, God, showed up as a little infant to save us, born to die. We were lost and dying with no way out, but you, God, came to earth as a baby. Remembering the gospel truth during this season is going to lead some of you today to another but you, God, moment. You're going to pour out your heart to God. Maybe you're going to complain to God. Maybe you're going to be honest for the first time with God. And you're going to cry out without restraint from the depths of your soul, not to something else or on social media, but to God himself, the King of kings. I don't understand, Lord, what's going on. And from the pit of your pain, you cry out to God because he is the only one who can keep you doing what he's called you to do. He's the only one who can sustain you and help you handle whatever it is that you're walking through. And guess what? At some point, when you push through the pain, you're going to find that you're going to push through to the point of praising God. God, I don't understand. God, I don't like this. God, this is bad. God, this is awful. I wish there was some other way. But you, God, you are still king. You're still on the throne. Your purposes and plans will always prevail. You never fail. You are the word fulfilled. You are the promise keeper. You're the light of the world. You're the living hope. You're the king of kings. And it's worshiping the king in that moment where we begin to have our hearts transformed, our minds renewed, our souls restored as we pour out our heart like water before the Lord. And at some point, because you know God, because you've remembered his faithfulness in the past and you trust his faithfulness in the future, you stop pleading and you just start praising. Oh, Lord, I knew I came in here with some big petitions, but it just doesn't matter right now. God, you're worthy of praise, and that's all I can think about right now. You may not even notice this at first, but in the middle of your cries, suddenly you realize who you're talking to and how much God does care about you, how much he does love you, and how powerful he really is, and that he is a promise keeper, a covenant keeper, and suddenly your plea for helps turns to a praise because he is good and he's worthy of it. Push through the pain to the point of praise, and suddenly you'll stop pleading, and you'll start praising and worshiping. And listen, here's another thing. Have you ever thanked somebody in advance for something they were going to do because you knew that they would? 
Say, well, God hasn't come. Do you believe that God is going to come through? Well, why don't you thank him in advance for what you know he's going to do because he's faithful and true. That's how I worship God. How do you worship God in the middle of this? Because I know he's faithful. He's been so in the past. He doesn't change. There is no changing in him. So he's going to be in the future. So I'm going to thank him in advance. God, I know your character. I know you're good. I know you never fail. So I know you're going to prove yourself faithful. I know you are the savior of the world. I know you are the true king. So I'm going to worship you. And suddenly out of your pain, you find the ability to worship. Not because life feels good right now, but because God is good right now, as always. And you push through the pain to the point of praise. You pour out your heart to God. He can handle it. Your need is his call to action. And he loves to be a safe place, a secure place, a refuge, a help in a time of trouble for his children. Remember his goodness. Yet I call this to mind. Therefore, I have hope. But you, Lord, no matter what I'm going through, you, God, you're always faithful. Remember and cry out to him. And then take the time to trust him that he is powerful, that he is king, that he is sovereign and that you can put your future in his hands if he was good in the past as you remember his faithfulness he never changes so even though your situation isn't good he's still good in the present and if he was good in the past and he was good in the present then you could trust him in the future our God has always been faithful and he never fails now I want to remind you of why this is possible today Yes, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but we don't just stop when we think about now we have the amazing ability to look at the entirety of his life. It's not just the baby child that we celebrate, that God came to earth miraculously that way, but we celebrate his life, his death, and his resurrection. The reason you can freely pour out your heart to God is because Jesus came as a baby, lived a perfect sinless life, died the death that we should have died on the cross, shed his blood for our sins, and rose again, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. We can pour out our hearts because Jesus first poured out his blood Matthew 26 says this is my blood of the covenant which is what poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins since Jesus poured out his blood for us that word poured out means spilled lost it means that he died I can come and pour out my heart to him and amazingly here's something else that he pours out on us the word says in Romans that he pours out his spirit on us now Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through his Holy Spirit. So today, I want us to cry out to God from the depths of our souls that he is the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords overall. He is in control, not just of your life, but the entire world. That the church in the earth is the hope of the world that he is working through. That God can handle whatever you're going through, whatever the church is going through. More importantly, he cares about you. He loves you. The church is his bride. Some of you need to hear this. God cares and loves you. Cares about you, loves you, and has done this on your behalf. He has poured out his love on you through his son, Jesus Christ. God has been faithful in the past. He is so good in the present. Therefore, you can thank him in advance for his power to provide and deliver in the future. Jesus' blood was poured out today so that you and I could pour out our hearts before him in his presence through praise. And as we worship God together, I know he's gonna pour out his love through the Holy Spirit on us. As this is the last Sunday that we'll be here live, next week you can be at home with your family and friends, watch online, it's gonna be a great, great service and message.
But as I think about this last time that we're here together before we gather back together physically in January, I believe that there's a season that we've been through and God is taking us out of and taking us into a new season. The seeds that have been planted in the winter snow, as we're about to sing, are going to be bearing fruit in the spring harvest. That God is doing a new thing and we want to perceive it as the scripture says and we want to follow him and trust him because he's been faithful in the past. He's good right now today and he's going to be faithful in the future to his church and to his name and to his people. So wherever you are today, my friends, would you worship him? Would you pour out your heart to him? Would you sing to him? Because God's made you a singer, whether you can sing or not. We say that all the time. The day you gave your life to Jesus, you became a singer. To praise God with your voice because he's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let's pray right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Heavenly Father, we come to you because you are so good. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, not just faithfulness that I see in my life, but faithfulness that I see in the lives of the people that I'm looking at right now. From the oldest to the youngest, through the most difficult of lives to maybe some lives that maybe haven't seen a lot of difficulty yet, but we all will. Lord, your word promises that in this world we will have trouble, but to take heart you've overcome, and how you overcame is you sent your son, Jesus, as a baby. And we had to wait. Lord, as we're thinking about seasons and we're thinking about whatever season we might be in right now, and my friend, you could be in a winter season or you could be in a spring season, I don't know. But a lot of what Christianity is about is waiting. Waiting on God to do what he said he's gonna do. Waiting on God to make that seed grow. And I want you to hear these words that we sing in just a moment of the season that we're in, the season you're in in life, the season we're in as a church. And God takes that seed that was planted and he grows it into a tree, a righteous oak, as it says in the word. His tree was a cross so that ours could be a tree of life. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.